looking to sound like you know what's going on in the world? Pop culture, social strategy, comedy, and other funny stuff? Well, join the club and settle in for the Jeff Dwoskin Show. It's not the podcast we deserve, but the podcast we all need with your host, Jeff Dwoskin. All right, Alan, thank you so much for that amazing introduction. You get the show going each and every week, and this week was no exception. Welcome, everybody, to episode 98 of Live from Detroit, the Jeff Duoskin Show. As always, I am your host, Jeff Duoskin. Great to have you back for what's sure to be a rockin' episode. How rockin', you ask? So rockin'. That's how rockin'. We got Detroit guitar legend Duffy King with us. That's right. Guitarist, singer, songwriter, composer, producer, Part of the supergroup Alan Hewitt and One Nation. He's been nominated for Grammy Awards, Billboard, Magazine Awards, World Music Awards, 20 Detroit Music Award nominations, including six wins. He was a guitarist for Tommy Lee's solo project. He's got lots of great stories to share about his new album with Alan Hewitt and One Nation and also his solo projects and a bunch of great musical chat as well. Excited to share my conversation with Duffy King with you and that's coming up in just a few minutes. I loved all the feedback on last week's episode with Tammy Pescatelli and the week before that with Rocky Laporte, two amazing comedians. A lot more funny stuff coming up, but that's the beauty of this episode with Duffy King. Got lots of stuff to laugh at, and now you're going to have a lot of stuff to groove to with his solo stuff. Definitely check out the show notes. I'll remind you at the end of the episode for Duffy King's solo album and his work with Alan Hewitt. It's great, great stuff. Next week, is episode 100. It's going to be a fun episode. So get ready. January 31st, 100th episode with special guest Ronnie Cox. That's right, Ronnie Cox from Deliverance, Total Recall, Beverly Hills Cop 1 and 2, RoboCop. We discuss it all. That's going to be in episode 100. Okay, admittedly, this might be a little over the top. I'm going to have to talk to my sound engineer guy. But the point is, we're super excited for this huge episode. Episode 100 coming up next week. We're so thankful for all of you joining us week after week and being on this fun ride with us. Huge thanks to you. And we're looking forward to celebrating this together. And now it's time for the social media tip. This is the part of the show where I share a little bit of my social media knowledge with you. A little 411 I picked up on the street. Been involved with the social media world for quite some time. So I'd love to share quick tips that you can then Google and learn more about so we can all raise our social game together. Today's tip takes us back to the world of Twitter spaces. Big news now is that both iOS and Android users can record their spaces. Twitter spaces is a great way for you to harness your community on Twitter and they can hear your voice and you can have conversations and set speakers and have very focused conversations. Now you can record them regardless of what platform you're on and then share them and they remain public for 30 days. Helps you grow your audience and anyone can now listen in. Being able to record is I think what's key to Twitter spaces and what was missing from the original Clubhouse What is fabulous about the Fireside app, when there's a record of what you discussed, 
then the value that you're creating during that time can be shared later and not lost in the moment that you're sharing it originally. So check that out. Enjoy, record. It's a great first step to creating your own podcast or your own media empire. Let me know. Tweet at me at Jeff DeWaskin Show and tell me what you think. And that's the social media tip. I do want to thank everyone in advance for their support of the sponsors. When you support the sponsors, you're supporting us here live from Detroit, the Jeff DeWaskin Show. And that's how we keep the lights on. Today's interview sponsor is Masterclass Entertainment Category. Tired of seeing all your friends mastering the air guitar? Have you been passed over time and time and time again for your high school air band or air choir? You got no skills, kid. Well, it's time to become king of the air guitar at masterclass.com. Picture it, 30 days from now, you'll be shredding air with the best of them. At masterclass.com air guitar edition, you'll learn how to pick the right music to pretend you're playing. Learn how to stand so it looks like you're holding a real guitar, not just air. You'll learn the right strumming techniques, faking frets, and the finer points of lip syncing. In just 30 days, you'll go from impressing nobody to being the person everyone is talking about at the party. And we mean everyone. All right. The shame of that commercial is there was air guitar playing the whole time. You just couldn't hear it because air guitar. Okay. I think it's now time for me to share my conversation with Duffy King with you. Get ready for guitarist, singer, songwriter, composer, producer from Detroit, Duffy King. Enjoy. All right, everybody. I'm excited to introduce you to my next guest, guitar legend from Michigan. Duffy King is with us, ladies and gentlemen. Duffy, welcome to the show. (laughs) Guitar legend. Well, I guess that would be my own mind. <laughs> legend in my own mind. <laughs> As a matter of fact, Moody Blues have a, a song that we do called Legend of the Mind. So I guess that's appropriate. <laughs> Let's start with the ex- exciting news. You got a, a new album, Alan Hewitt and One Nation. This is your second album together. You got a, a couple new singles and you got a new album, 2021. Tell us a little bit about that. Definitely very exciting, and uh, the album is, like, fantastic. Uh, this particular album was recorded, we started in 2020. We decided to release it 2021, henceforth the name, a little later than we hoped, but that's how things go, especially when everyone's separated with COVID, we're from all over the country. and So having to put it together from afar was uh, a challenge. It was great in its own way. I mean, we were able to... Uh, have some time to focus and do it and then we'd have to record our parts and send them around to each other and and oh, is that okay you like that i'll change it you know change this instead of it being immediate on the spot the takes would have to be rotated around to everybody so it took a little longer to do it that way it turned out great and we're definitely excited to be able to go out and play well i mean we didn't know up until recently whether it was even going to be able to happen it's interesting because I watched the We're One Nation video and you're all four in different places. You do a yeah. good job kind of. I'll put a link to it in the show notes so anyone can check it out. It's a great song. What is it like working that way, though, when you're not in the studio together? I know nowadays, though, with technology, 
even pre-COVID, I mean, that's all that's possible, right? You could just call someone up in uh, California and go, hey, I need you to do some drums for me real quick. (laughs) Absolutely. And in that regard, it's great because it does enable a lot of people to get together when they normally wouldn't be able to because of distance and stuff like that. So in that regard, it's better. You can get a hold of so many other musicians, and everyone's pretty much got a studio nowadays. All of a sudden, you're able to collaborate with musicians you may not have been able to collaborate with. So that's the upside. The downside is is you're like really alone on an island. (laughs) You're not getting that interaction of things, so you have to like really get in your head, try to get in your head that you're playing with the band and with people around you. To give you some, you know, because you feed off that energy. Right, right, right. But uh, producers and stuff in the studio, even if you're doing overdubs, you still get a, a kind of an energy going, you know. When you're by yourself, you kind of manufacture that energy and vibe. So that that's the difficult part of it. Yeah, I think comedians had that that issue too, doing Zoom shows yeah. and trying to keep it absolutely without, being, without feeding off the audience. It's, uh, it's difficult. Like you said, you get to work with all these different musicians now or yeah. could work with them. It's how I was able to start my podcast. Call up certain people, you know, like famous people, and they're like, well, yeah, I mean, I guess I could do that, or I could take a nap, I guess. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Uh, I mean, on my last solo album, I had this song. I had an idea for it, and I happened to run across on Facebook via YouTube this amazing upright bass player. And the song was kind of modern flamenco bass. And he did this video of him playing upright bass, and then he plays rhythm on the bass while he's playing. And it was amazing. Track him down and said, hey, I have this song I want you to play on. It's going to be perfect. And turns out he lived in Tel Aviv. This is pre, way pre-COVID anyway. So I was already doing that kind of adventure of recording. So I was able, with that technology, able to send him this uh, song he played and sent it back. And I sent it back a couple times. Hey, could, you know, And it was great. And I love that aspect of it for sure. That is really cool. That is one aspect of technology that is wonderful. So there you go. It was an international recording. International. Absolutely. Yeah. You're, hu- you're huge in Tel Aviv. <laughs> well, he is. I don't know if anyone heard, heard the song or not over there, but uh, he, it was awesome. The song turned out amazing. I caught up with him on my last tour just prior to COVID. He was playing in New York City. On a night off that I had, he was playing in down in the village at this club, and I was able to go and hang out. So, you know, a connection was made there as well. So it was just very cool. That is really awesome. Yeah, I, when, I, when I do the podcast, it's fun because I'll call people and go, hey, I have this idea. Can you just record this and then send it to me? And then I'll do that too. So it's fun. Yeah. It's like technology is so much fun that you can play with. All right, so you got this cool new album out, but then let's let's go back in time for a minute, right? So you've been nominated for Grammy Awards, Billboard Magazine, World Music Awards. You've won Detroit Music Awards. I've been to that. Yeah. All right, so there's your legendary status. So let's talk about like Little Duffy King. <laughs> How do you get turned? on your your family was very musical yes absolutely so your mom and your brothers yeah yeah i mean i grew up with it my mom was a a singer right i mean she could stand toe-to-toe with like at the time judy garland barbara streisand those type of singers and she was performing all over not only the detroit area but in chicago and this was before i was born she had a record deal offered to her my older brothers and sisters are way older than me and they were like one two three you know, right next to each other. She had a major label. They wanted to put her on record deal and send her out on tour. And she says, I, I can't do that. I've got three little kids at home. I can't do it. And so she uh, opted to be a, a mom, I guess, which is cool. 
But when I came along, I remember her singing in nightclubs and stuff like that. And then my both my older brothers went into music, and they were uh, one of the first white acts signed to Motown Records. So I grew up watching as a real little kid watching them play in their bands and put out records and in fact stevie wonder played on their motown album so you know that was what i had exposure to as a very young up-and-coming musical hopeful do your brothers still make music now my oldest brother yeah he still does it on his own just puts stuff out all the time on his own yeah out of his home studio so did you get to meet stevie wonder i did not but uh, it was it was pretty cool being like you know seventh grade and have an album that Stevie Wonder played on you know and tell all my friends that that's pretty cool. <laughs> that's really cool. Did they record at Motown? Yeah, in Detroit. Yeah, and that's how they met. They met Stevie happened to be in the studio when they were recording and said, "Man, I really dig." He happened to be walking through the studio, one of the studio, and uh, just dug what he heard, and then you know said, "Hey, man, can I play on your?" song i'm not yeah of course (laughs) (laughs) in what uh trajectory of stevie wonder's career was he stevie i'm gonna say that was right when he was putting out his that segment of albums let's see intervisions 72 ish i'm guessing 1972 so you look at those albums uh around that time he put out three or four that were just like and it, it was a run of albums that you just can't you know believe talking book intervisions Fulfilling this first finale, I think it's, it's yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, and that was when he played on their album. Yeah, it mattered if he wasn't famous yet. Sometimes it's cool. Like I was just actually talking to someone. Like I was like, oh, I love playing with comedians, opening for comedians who then become famous because it doesn't matter when you knew them. Yeah. Uh, oh, Stevie. I think Stevie was pretty famous from the time he was fifteen. So yeah, I know. I know. You got. Him. <laughs> I mean, he came out of the gate as little Stevie Wonders, That's you know, true. with That's the true. harmonica and stuff. And then he, yeah, amazing stuff. But yeah, being exposed to that kind of stuff as a young, a real young kid was like extremely impactful, obviously. So did you guys with your brothers, did you hang out in the Motown studios? Did you get to meet any of the other Motown acts? I was too young. I was really little. I was really young. Wasn't able to, uh, to but I was their guitar player started showing me stuff when I was about 12 years old. I'm just starting, you know, 12, 13, 14. He would sit down with me. He, I mean, he ended up being the guitar player for the Bee Gees on Saturday Night Fever and all that stuff. And it went on with and played with all kinds of other people as well. So I, w- I was mentored by him. So that was like very cool. That is really cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I would say you're like uh Musical, touched by musical royalty. I was lucky. I was lucky, man. And he gave me, him and my brothers, they gave me, when they signed their Motown record deal, they had a bunch of equipment they went and bought, and they, including some tires and stuff. At any rate, Joey Mercia, who was the guitar player, I got progressed to the point where he said, because I started out, you know, on a cheap electric, uh, cheap, you know, it was a cheapo guitar, as you should. He finally said that I progressed enough that I needed a really good guitar. So for my birthday... They uh, gave me uh, this beautiful Gibson guitar that they had, you know, purchased with uh, their record advance royalties for uh, from Motown, and they gave me it. You know, so that was his idea, actually. So that's really cool. Yeah. <laughs> so there was no uh, brother rivalry there. They were very encouraging. Of- Absolutely no. They were super encouraging. Both my brothers were always showing me guitar stuff, and then as we got older. We played together as the King Brothers. Right, because King Trio would have been taken. 
Yeah. <laughs> yep. At the Kingston Trail. <laughs> but we would do these, uh, we'd get, cause my one brother lived, ended up living in LA. The other one lived in Miami. We'd get together every summer and have a family union. And then we'd have these big rock bashes. And it became a thing for quite a while. So that is awesome. That is really cool. <laughs> yeah, it was always cool, man. So now are they all jealous of you? Ah, uh, no, no, no. Dwayne, Dwayne, he's uh, supportive. My brother Nick, unfortunately, passed away in a car accident uh, a number of years ago. So oh, I'm so sorry. But he'd be super, super ecstatic at everything I'm doing. I know that for sure. <laughs> For sure. Oh, man. I'm so sorry to hear that. You get the fancy guitar. Where do you go Where do you go from there? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I immediately start trying to make a band in, you know, junior high school. And then and once I got to high school, I was, you know, accomplished enough to where I could play most things that were out there as far as commercial music. Let's put it that way. All kinds of commercial. Because my brothers had a huge impact with me from R&B, funk, and then some rock, and then I delved into rock on my own. So I was playing with guys a lot older than me, you know, cover bands, playing all kinds of music. And I was playing in bars when I was 16. I wasn't old enough to even be in them. And my mom would have to sign off or take me and hang out while I was playing. <laughs> so, <laughs> and I uh, had another, you know, had a band. We started writing our own music. So at an early age, I was right into it, head, head first, you know, really. And that's all I've ever done. Is this where you got to know Alan? I'd heard you tell a story. Yes, indeed. Yeah. You guys were in competing bands. And yeah. In the Petoskey, Michigan area. Mm-hmm. Yep, absolutely. Yes, yes, indeed. And we met each, we put these kind of like mini Woodstock festivals together out in, because there's lots of fields around up here. <laughs> and there'd be these, you know, we'd go out to a big field and get a couple of hay wagons or put together, you know, a stage out of, four by eights and whatever we could put underneath them. And all the bands would just chip in with all their gear and make a big PA system. And, and we'd have these concert festivals uh, with all the local bands around. And that's where I first met Alan. Recognized his band was great and recognized his talent in particular. We just became buddies. And then he went off to Berkeley School of Music. And then I went to Central Michigan for a couple of years. I moved to Detroit because I knew that I had to get into a a city where there was a music scene. A band happened to be looking, that I was in, happened to be looking for a drummer. Alan played drums at the time. Now he plays keyboards. But at Berkeley, you know, drummers, well, I think most any music program, a drummer has to take piano because technically it's a percussion instrument. You know, he was already writing songs on the piano, but he was mostly a drummer. And he, I called him up when I heard he was back up here at his mom's from Berkeley. And I said, hey, we need a drummer in this band. He came down to Detroit and then from then on, our whole lives, on and off, we've been in bands together, made bands together, recorded together, and stuff like that. Literally our whole lives. When did Alan start playing with the Moody Blues? I think it was 2009, I believe. I think. Because uh, I remember when he first started playing with them, and he came through Detroit and, you know, got a hold of me and got me, you know, passes and all that stuff. I think that was 2009. In your story, where did, where did you go next? You have the band in Detroit. You got Alan as a drummer. Where did that take you? We ended up touring all over the place, and we ended up in Florida. Kind of vague on how we chose Florida. I don't know if we just wanted to not live in Michigan. I don't know. There was somewhat of a music scene happening down there. Like, you know, you had a couple of big studios and production companies because of, like, the Bee Gees, and Eric Clapton had done a huge album there, Joe Walsh. So there was a kind of a big music scene going on there. We ended up getting an apartment together in uh, the Fort Lauderdale area, actually, and we put a band together. And 
that was with a mindset of doing mostly original music and getting a record deal. We did that for a couple few years, and we were almost signed to uh, Elektra Records, and then all things happened. It, it, didn't, it, it didn't work out, and then he ended up going to L.A., or Chicago first, and then L.A., and then I came back to Detroit, kind of based out of Detroit for a good part of, of my life. I lived uh, in New York City for a while, and then Phoenix. Really put my roots in Detroit and got involved heavily in the Detroit music scene. Would you consider yourself, I mean, outside of the band work, are you considered a session player? Is that the right way to say it? Yeah, yeah. Um, I actually have done... Yeah, I became a lot a big session player uh, for a while, especially in Detroit with all the auto commercials. So I was able to do a lot of those. And you've heard me tons of times. You didn't know it. but um, uh, So I got into the commercial thing a lot, playing sessions. That was great. That kind of fizzled out. I don't, oddly enough, once in a while, I'll get a call still from one of the production companies that I used to work with and uh, to do something like I Now I can do it out of my home studio, same thing. Just send them, you know, we send the tracks back and forth. In addition to the commercial work, you've worked with a lot of famous people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I played on uh, Tommy Lee's album, Public Disservice, it was called, with Methods of Mayhem. Played on this German uh, pop star named Matthias Rhyme. Played on that, of course, played with John Lodge from the Moody Blues on his past couple records. And then I've toured done a lot of hired gun touring stuff as well with like you know did some stuff with uh, martha reeves the temptations john lodge kind of all over the map i'm a hired gun in a lot of regards but i do my own stuff you know i have my own records that i've put out and and then with the one nation well of course get to your personal recordings as well i happen to spend the day listening to your album acoustically speaking oh wow <laughs> How do you get to be one of these hired guns? Like, do they, does, does Tommy Lee go, get me Duffy? No. <laughs> well, usually it, it's, it usually comes through a recommendation. Tommy Lee, that was strictly a, I guess you'd call it, would be a cattle call. They put out a, I saw a thing that they were looking for people to put tracks on this album. And I just sent them, I guess you'd call it real resume, whatever. And they liked it. And the same thing, like when I, I toured the world for Gibson Guitars as a what they call a clinician and so i would go all over the world to either these trade shows the, one of the big ones being like a nam show these big trade shows where every year they you know bring out their new products and i perform at those and show off their new products or i would go around to music stores and give these what they call clinics demonstrating their guitars and whatever products they have so i did that for a couple of years for gibson and I went all over the world doing that. And the same thing, I got that through an ad in a... Actually, my brother Dwayne was living in Nashville, and the local music paper, it had Gibson guitars, because Gibson, you know, is based in Nashville, looking for clinician. And I, he knew I'd done some of that for Yamaha guitars before. I just sent him my demo tape and bio, and they flew me down. I kind of did an audition and got that gig. So that's kind of, you know... That's got that's got to be a big deal, though, right? I mean, they don't just hand that no, to, no. to anybody. No, you're right. There was I, I found out there was 400 people that submitted for that, submitted uh, demo tapes and videos and resumes for that. So that was a pretty big thing from all over. Yeah, that was a big deal actually being chosen for that. Yeah, that's got to be a huge honor. Yeah, because right? they're not going to put that in anyone's hands. <laughs> no, no, no. It was great. You know, sometimes it's just a quirk of 
seeing something or having someone give you some information, turning you on to a lead, or other times it's a recommendation. A friend goes, hey, any, you know anyone that uh, plays guitar or whatever, then you'll get a recommendation from a friend. How did you get connected with John Lodge? Like he's with the Moody Blues also, right? So Directly through Alan. So Alan hooked you up. Yeah, because Alan's playing on the Moody Blues, and then when and, and so Alan plays with, with John too as well. So it's kind of like, I mean, we do pretty much all Moody Blues songs. I mean, there's, you know, all these bands are kind of fragmenting a bit and then utilizing. And so Alan just called me in. We were already doing the One Nation thing, so uh, he called me in to do that. Most often, things come through referrals of friends. And, and I do the same when I'm putting something together because broad-based cattle call auditions are brutal. They're brutal to do. And so you're you're more, you know, apt to go on friend recommendations at least for the, you know, to whittle it down to a few people to listen to as opposed to trying to listen to a whole bunch of people, especially in-person auditions where they're literally lined up outside. It's, it's a tough way to go on both sides. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, you just got a shirt that said, I'm Duffy King. <laughs> and then that way they would have just known while you were in line. They're like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> we got a ringer here. We got a ringer. Yeah, there's lots of ringers. I I was uh, up for. Do you know who Adrian Ballou is? No, I do not. Well, he was he was. I mean, in his own right, he's a a great guitarist, artist, and but he was known, best known for being a vocalist with King Crimson. And uh, so there was an audition for a big big band that we both had, and neither one of us got it. <laughs> so uh, at first, I was bummed that I didn't get it. You know. But when I found out he didn't get it, I didn't feel so bad. Someone told me, so called me and said, hey, don't feel bad. Adrian Ballou didn't get the gig either. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> so being someone who kind of works with a lot of people is almost like, it's kind of like being an actor. Like you're talking, when you're telling me these stories, it's like when I hear these acting, you go, we went off for this role. I didn't get the role. This person got the role. Yeah, so it's always like trying to uh, kind of get yourself in there. Absolutely. I could definitely see the the correlation of that absolutely absolutely that's interesting that's it so what's it like when you're touring with like john lodge and you're only playing moody blue songs is he he's touring as himself moody blues is john lodge or sometimes they do it john lodge from the moody blues you know, it depends on the promoter and stuff like that but usually it's... are the moody blues together right now no they're not no they're not okay justin kind of does his own thing they had, so they were the two front guys justin and john so they were right. like and so they're each doing kind of their own thing. They seem to be amicable if you look at the website in terms of them. Because uh, that's what yeah. I'm asking. I looked at their website. The tour was like had it broken down by the different individuals. I was just curious. Yes, they, they share. You're right. They share under the Moody Blues moniker. You can go to the Moody Blues website and under that moniker, you can see each guy's individual tour stuff. Yeah, you are correct. And, and, it, and that's cool. They must get along pretty well. or Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I you know, there's the, who knows that you know, but at least they're not in uh, like all these battles, like Journey and uh, I mean, the, the list goes on and on. How they've had these massive court battles over the names and stuff like that, and usage of the name, and right? Possibly even material. I don't, you know, it's so that's good. I think maybe they just say, okay, you guys, you know, well, you just do what you want to do. I'll do what I want to do, and let's just you know, not do that nasty thing. <laughs> it's, when I talked to Mark Farner, he gave me a little bit of this. Oh, there was another one, right? That was brutal there. Yeah. Yeah, that was a brutal one. I hate seeing it. Yeah, it's it's unfortunate. Very unfortunate. 
I mean, so we, ultimately, before we get to Helen Hewitt and One Nation, we'll get to it in one second. So you did tour with Martha Reeves, Temptation. So you went back to the, you got some Motown roots. Got the Motown, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, no, I, absolutely. And I have to thank my brothers and Joy Mercia for implanting that in me. And, of course, kind of infused into me. And I, I played um, on a Grammy-nominated album by a band called Witness, where I was doing another session in a studio and a producer happened to be walking by the studio and heard me playing and it was a rhythm and blues funk song and he had to he said he had to come in and listen to who was doing it he admitted he goes at first he goes i was surprised to see that you were white (laughs) (laughs) and so you know but but that that happened to me a lot i played in a lot of bands where i was the only white guy you know and and that's because of really being infused and loving funk and rhythm and blues, Motown type music, and, and I got deep into it. So that's uh, where I, I had tons and tons of student sessions and gigs and stuff just because of that. All right, so let's get back to the big news. Your new album with Alan Hewitt and One Nation. First of all, how come you didn't go, hey, Alan, how about it's just One Nation? Okay, well, hey, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> that was another... Uh, no, no. They, he, actually, the, the label kind of, I think, wanted that because One Nation was formed with some other guys initially. It was called just One Nation. And that kind of didn't pan out, but there was some murkiness possibly involved with the name. So, henceforth, you know, they put Alan's name out front to try to maybe get around some of that aspect of it. So they wouldn't be on, you know, once again, someone get their nose bent out of shape and then trying to go on the court or whatever. I mean, I think that the recognizability of Alan's name because of his, of his tenure with, uh, not only with the Moody Blues, but, you know, with Earth, Wind, and Fire and stuff like that, you know, it might just help lift the, the name recognition up there a bit. Well, I think it'd be even better, Alan Hewitt and Duffy King. Ah! <laughs> The the all right. So this is so this must be great for you, right? Because I mean, I mean, just in terms of oh, here I am now. I'm working with my old friend Alan Hewitt. Yeah, it's kind of like a coming full circle. I'm not that yes. the circle's done or anything like that, but just right where you are right now. That must be so amazing and so much fun. And there must be such great synergy. There's four of you right now in this yeah. version. Yeah. David C. Johnson and Billy Ashbaugh. Mm-hmm. I pause because I usually no, of course, butcher yeah, last yeah. <laughs> I was giving you a chance to correct me. <laughs> no, that was good. <laughs> Billy Ashbrook, also with the Moody Blues. It's like you're practically in the Moody Blues. <laughs> exactly. <Alan>. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, you're like, by, by like just... By, yep, by, uh, what is that? Uh, de- degrees of separation. What is that? Separ- yeah, two yeah. degrees of separation, whatever that is. Whatever that. So, <laughs> so oh, wait, Billy also played with Pat Benatar and Sync. Yeah. Okay, that's that's fun. And then David C. Johnson, the Neville Brothers, and Aaron Neville Quintet. Very cool. All right, so this is uh, an insane lineup. Very cool. I listened to... I was actually listening to the, the first album. You're on the first album. Yes. It's great. I love, I love it. It's one of the things I love about doing this podcast is like meeting new people and getting introduced to things that albums, you know, movies, anything that I didn't know and then be able, becoming a new fan. I'm a new fan, so I love it. Awesome. And I've listened to uh, the two singles, the One Nation, We're One Nation, and I forgot the name of it so I wouldn't forget. One Step Closer. One Step be. Closer. Right. Yeah. There it is right there. So I listened to the singles One Step Closer, We're One Nation, the videos, fun, great. Well done during the COVID time <laughs> yeah. to, to mesh that all together. 
when you guys uh, are all together, the four of you, do you guys just do stuff off the two albums, or because of all you, all the eclectic backgrounds that you guys bring to it, are you like are you going into moody blues songs? Well, that's a good, that's very good, and, and we had thought about um, all that. Um, we're gonna do the full new album, pulling some uh, of our our I guess what we judge to be our favorites off the first album, and yes. We are going to do a few Moody Blues songs, and we're going to throw a little Moody Blues in there because a lot of people that are going to be coming to see us are Moody Blues fans, and we're going to give them a little taste of some Moody Blues, yeah. <laughs> you should open your own show as a Moody Blues cover band. <laughs> yeah, no, I we just thought we, you know, we have a little segment where we do some Moody Blues stuff, yeah, and uh, and and yeah, could we take it in and do some Neville Brothers and some? Well, we definitely wouldn't. I guess as a joke, we could pick a a, a little bit of an insane thing and go into, and we may, who knows, we might bust into a little insane thing and uh, and then a Pat Benatar or something for like four bars or something. I don't know, who knows? <laughs> <laughs> so fun, just to represent everybody. That's super awesome. What about any of your like solo stuff? You guys probably all have. I know you do, but like I'm sure they do too. Do you guys play any of your individual tunes? No, no. We we're th- this is uh, this is definitely the band stuff. Okay. You know, Alan's got a bunch of albums. I've got a couple, and that's for our own thing. Yeah. <laughs> I only ask because sometimes, like whenever I would see Crosby, Stills, and Nash. Oh, right, absolutely. Right, they would take a break, and like Crosby would come out, sing yeah. a Crosby song, yep. Nash. Yeah, kind of absolutely. Stuff. And uh, I've I've seen a. a um, let's see. Well, I know the Eagles, like Don Henley will do some of his songs. Joe Walsh will do some of his songs. And when Glenn Fry was alive, they would do some, they would segment off and do a little bit of each. So I guess, you know, if we ever get big enough to work, <laughs> we could warrant doing such a thing. I guess maybe we will. <laughs> um, Duffy, I don't know if you missed my intro. Guitar legend. <laughs> <laughs> Legend of the Mind, as a matter of fact, that's a, like I said, that's a Moody Blues song that we are going to be doing in our One Nation uh, tour set. I'm telling you, you do, do a Moody Blues cover band, you call it uh, <laughs> Duffy King's Blues, or something like that. Name it after you. Go, Alan. This, I got this one, Alan. <laughs> Very good. Yeah, that definitely tribute bands are, are are where everyone's making money. That's for sure. Right, you guys got you got the credit. <laughs> so all right, so very cool. So I want to talk about your individual work. Talk about some of the I I mentioned I listened to acoustically speaking. Cool, cool, awesome. Obviously, that's very different from what anything else that you may have heard from me or One Nation or it's got uh, a lot of Latin jazz in it, and along with some other. A little more eclectic, I guess, uh, acoustic guitar stuff. That's why you know I decided to do all acoustic because uh, when I was living in Phoenix, when I moved out there, getting into the music scene, I just was playing solo a lot in solo acoustic guitar stuff. And the more I got doing that, the more repertoire I started building up in that genre. And then always being a jazz fan, Latin jazz in particular, through in particular uh, Chick Corea, who's a fusion. In fact, One Nation uh, has a lot of influence from Return to Forever. But I got into Chick's other stuff, which was very Latin jazz-based. So I just started gravitating toward writing some stuff like that and wanted to make an album of that. Uh, Most of the compositions were done while I was living in Arizona. That uh, was just a different side. project that uh, has taken me through a few years here. And before that, 
I uh, did a, a solo acoustic, not a, a, a solo guitar, kind of jazz uh, Christmas album. <laughs> uh, once again, touring and, and playing with various people in, in the jazz field. I love jazz. So I just kind of did that. And then before that, I did a bunch of like pop rock stuff. And I had a record that was played uh, all over, especially regionally, Detroit, Chicago, and stuff like that. And it was like flat out rock. My latest record I'm working on solo right now is more of a blues, rock, funk thing. Got a lot of great musicians. Uh, it's all Detroit musicians playing on it. Hopefully, we'll see how you know it progresses here, depending on my touring schedules and stuff like that. That's with the heavy touring schedules, you know, that puts things like that on the back burner. And then what came to the front burner this time was Alan Hill and One Nation. We needed to get it done. I remember when we signed our deal. We had been pecking away at the album over the past, you know, year. And then Alan said we signed the deal in late, I think it was like latter part of June. And uh, he says, we have to deliver the album by July 18th. I'm like, what? You know, that's like holding. So we just like really cranked down. I mean, we we did have all the songs picked and had skeletons of them. Some of them were partly finished, but we really, really had to hunker down and finish it. But I'm hoping to finish my new album uh, in the next year here, you know, the upcoming year. All right. And then hopefully more Grammy Award nominations oh. <laughs> and wins and Billboard wins. Yeah. You're a regular at the Detroit Music Awards. Yeah. I... I had a web company in the late 90s, and we used to do the website for the Detroit Music Awards, so they would give us a table in exchange for money. Who nice. needs money when you can have yeah. a table? <laughs> but it was cool because I remember we were there when Glenn Fry was actually there one year. Yeah. I was there that year. I didn't get to meet him or anything, but it was within one foot of him. So there's that. I remember Kid Rock was there. He performed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like Joe C was there. So, I mean, that's yep. time frame. You can go. That's how far back. It was a decade. Michael Moore was the host of one of them. Yeah. picture with him actually standing outside. <laughs> this is probably Roger and me time frame. Or yeah. Like right. Before he went. That was. A, yeah. Yeah. No, I've been to a, a number of them. I mean, they. I've been nominated many, many, many times in, in many different categories, actually. Everything from rhythm and blues to uh, rhythm and blues instrumentalist, vocalist to jazz album. One, let's see, I don't know, six, six times I think I won. I'm nominated 20 sometimes. That's awesome. And it yeah. sounds like if you were at those, the ones I mentioned, it was yeah. the same yeah. building decades same, ago. It, it was. Yeah, it was for sure. I mean, it was, it was definitely through the, uh, I think the, 99 through 2010 and that's yeah. and then i moved to uh in 2011 i moved to late mid 2011 i moved to phoenix for a few years yeah, we could do it when harry met we were in the same <laughs> building <laughs> and 20 <laughs> years later, later. <laughs> oh my gosh that's hysterical that's a <laughs> duffy um Besides DuffyKing.com, your website, where else can people keep up with you on the social medias? Two Facebook pages, Duffy King, regular Facebook, Duffy King, music Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, which I never go on. <laughs> That's the, the main ones. I haven't delved into TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> My kids are. They're, you know, in fact, one's becoming a well, his girlfriend is becoming a TikTok star. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> my, my daughter had like a flash of fame. She had one TikTok get like millions. She shot up to yeah. like 50,000 followers, but then that kind of te- it kind of teetered off. But yeah, that's fun. That's awesome. That's so cool. And I'll put all those links in the show notes so everyone can cool. get to you and check out your albums. Yeah, and check out my, my, my new video, which actually is a song from Acoustically Speaking. 
that is awesome. And I was just, because of COVID and all that, I was delayed in making this video that I had the vision for from when I actually wrote the song in Arizona. We lived at the base of Black Mountain in the high Sonoran Desert. Therefore, you know, the song's title Samba del Sonoran. And I had this vision of me climbing this mountain playing. And when I got to the top, at the end, when I'm really shredding it up, you know, I'd have this drone going around in circles. And, and finally, when we were able to be out at our place again, you know, there, and I was able to make this video happen. And it's awesome. And as a matter of fact, it is right now on the first ballot of the Grammys for best video. Well, I'm going to so, vote, even though well, I can't vote. Yeah, you can't. Well, yeah. So it's I'm on the first ballot. Out. Yeah. So I'm hoping that, uh, obviously, I mean, that's a a long shot, but we'll see if it makes it to the main ballot. You know, it's if you're only the- asking, yes, Duffy, I will go to the Grammys. <laughs> <laughs> At any rate, that's just another cool thing. The, the video is awesome. Check it out on my YouTube channel. And uh, yeah, I'll put, I'll put links to everything. Well, well, th- Duffy, thank you so much. This was so much fun. I love to love chatting with you. Thanks, man. Cool, man. Very cool. Thanks, man. Peace. All right, that was Duffy King. All right, so now you got some music homework. You can check out Alan Hewitt and One Nation, their album 2021, and their previous album, Evolution. Catch those on Spotify. And you can listen to Duffy King's solo album, Acoustically Speaking. I'll put links in the show notes to those as well, as promised earlier in the show. Well, with the interview over, that can only mean one thing. That's right. It's time for another trending hashtag from the family of hashtags at hashtag roundup. Download the free, always free, never costs a penny hashtag roundup app at the Google or Apple Play stores. Download the app. And get notified every time a game starts. Never miss another game. Tweet along with us. And one day, one of your tweets may show up on a future episode of Live from Detroit, the Jeff Duoskin Show. This episode's hashtag is hashtag Motown Anything. From musical hashtags, a weekly game on hashtag Roundup. Hashtag Motown Anything, the ultimate Motown mashup. Take anything and give it a little Motown twist. This hashtag chosen, of course, because of the conversation I had with Duffy about his brother's recording with Motown, playing with Stevie Wonder, and him later touring with Martha Reeves and the Temptations. Motown royalty. All right. Let's check out some hashtag Motown Anything tweets. Remember, all these are retweeted at Jeff Dwoskin Show. Show them some love. Give them a retweet, a like, a reply, anything you want. Let them know you are grooving to their tweet. All right, here we go. Hashtag Motown Anything. Oh, Funk Brothers, where art thou? Motown Philly cheesesteak. Stevie Wonder Bread. Diana Ross and Rachel. Fats Domino Pizza. Ain't no Motown high enough. Sly in the Sorcerer's Stone. You look marvelous. Hashtag round up on the roof. Paul playing directly to us. Thank you. The Lionel King. Moonwalk like an Egyptian. Sexual healing. The Motown City Madman. The Commodores 64. Stevie Wonder Woman. These are some amazing hashtag Motown anything tweets. Here's another one. Super Freaks and Geeks, Diana Ross in the Supreme Court, Smokey Robinson and the Bandit, 
And finally, our last hashtag Motown anything tweet is to you, Smokey Robinson. Oh, all right. As always, find them all at Jeff Dewaskin Show. Tweet your own hashtag Motown anything. Tag us. I'll like it. Comment. I'll do something. But I need you to go first and tweet. Well, that was fun. Don't forget to play along throughout the week on Twitter. Hashtag games are super fun. And I love reading them on the show and retweeting them at Jeff Dewaskin Show. Well, with the hashtag game over, that can only mean one thing. We're at the end of the show. How did episode 98 come and go so quickly? I don't know. It was a rockin' fun one. Thanks again to my special guest, Duffy King. And of course, thanks to all of you for coming back week after week. It means the world to me, and I'll see you next time. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of The Jeff Dwoskin Show with your host, Jeff Dwoskin. Now go repeat everything you've heard and sound like a genius. Catch us online at thejeffdwoskinshow.com or follow us on Twitter at Jeff Dwoskin Show. And we'll see you next time.